cord one of these days. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you have done, that which we could not do providing us the means of grace, forgiving our sins, granting us access to your courts, bringing us into your kingdom. Lord, never let us forget the great work you have accomplished, and let us never forget the walk that you have placed us upon now, that as we trust, we move, we confront the things of this world, but knowing that you are good, you are gracious, and you will bring us to the day of completion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. 
I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. All righty. I, I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what it was. I, 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 I had to wait and find out. <laughs> Do what? Exactly, and I was just I'm good, I was going to see, because I remember when mine were quite at that height. That's the dangerous height, because if they come towards you, you got to be able to turn and, you know, be adjusted. And so, yeah, my kids outgrew that height, and now my dog is at that height with his tail. And unfortunately, I don't think he's getting any taller, so I'm stuck. I walked through the house wrong, and he wags his tail. Now I gotta go sit down for a minute. Love you, bud. All right, couple of things. Read your bulletin. It will do you well. Um, reminders of a couple of things. Remember Sam and Shelby? I, I shouldn't say Sam. Sam's fine. Um, they were able to make it to church about two weeks ago, and then Shelby couldn't make the return trip. She just took so much out of her. So they were gonna be here this morning, but they have a doctor's appointment on Tuesday they've gotta be in town for, and they're gonna come up for the funeral tomorrow. So they couldn't do three days in a row, so they had to pick and choose. So they weren't gonna. So they didn't make the trip today. So if you uh, you just remember them in prayer. They would. I'm sure they would appreciate it. So pl they're planning on next week, but you know, depends when you make back-to-back -back trips and trying to go back and forth. They may not make it next week. So we will see. Um, information on uh, Vi's funeral arrangements. If you did not get the update, make sure I announce it for everybody. Visitation at. You can make sure I'm pointing in the right direction. Fitzgerald at. Yeah, that's, that's like that way-ish, right? Yeah, well, well, it's not straight north. There's a little bit of west in there. So um, at 9.30 to 11, uh, I encourage you to go to the visitation. There is a private funeral service at 11. The reason why it's a private funeral service is the restrictions at the nursing home on how many people can be in the room. And I know the main area is already full, and there was some seating in the overflow, C, 80, and family for all that information. I am not responsible for the reservation process. <laughs> Nor would you want me to be. So, so if 
by the way, Martian Clark, I'm not ignoring you when I turn this way. It's just the whole room slanted in that direction. So, <laughs> so it's, it's nothing personal. Don't feel bad. I just realized I'm standing like this because that's where almost everybody is seated. We may have to like require you guys to start moving some of you over or something. <laughs> and then the, uh, the uh, graveside will be at the New Milford Cemetery following the service. And then anything else, I will let you guys ask Aidy and family about and get all the information. That way I don't mess it up, which is always a key thing. I just know when I have to be where, and that's the extent of it. Um, church council meeting today after the service, which means business meeting next week. You all know that and can figure it out. Is there any... Oh, Mark, we made mention of Mark last week. He is doing a little bit better, but not good. Found out today that Elena asked, well, when was his last MRI in his back? Because he's had back problems for years. Well, it's been probably a couple of years. So trying to get that scheduled to get him looked at to see if maybe something's gone worse or, you know, things falling apart, which you hope they're not. So Mark is doing a little bit better, but still be in prayer for him and his back. Now, am I forgetting something else? Going once, going twice. All right. Fun with church stuff. I don't know. Um, there's a word. Survey. You would think I spoke English my entire life and could remember some of these words. So, again, the questions we asked last week are in there with answers. So, let's try this. God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. True or false? All right. That's, that's an easy one, right? That's true. We, we read that this morning, right? Mm. All right. Make sure I lose my head. Of those people that we would call regular churchgoers of evangelical churches, 86% of them thought that was a true statement, which is not terrible news, but 12% of them thought that was a false statement. I wish that number was better, but I'm going to count that as a win. <laughs> if you remove denominations and church attendance, 55% of the people thought that was a true statement. 29% of the people outright thought that was a false statement, which means there's what, um... But 16% of the people didn't know, which my question is, why are you in a church? <laughs> but <laughs> these are the things that I don't ever get answers to. All right. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. <laughs> oh, there's laughing from the peanut gallery. <sighs> so I think I'm going to say we, we think that's false, right? <laughs> Of those people, uh, evangelical churches attending every week or at least once a week, 18% um, of them thought that was a true statement. 18. Now, 79% of them thought that was a false statement. So I'm again going to count that as a win. Barely. We're, it's, it's, not an over, it's not a resounding win, but it's, it's a win. We're, we're just going to take it. Um, remove church attendance requirements, remove denominational requirements, and 48% of the people thought that was a true statement. 41% of the people thought it was a false statement. So, so whenever you see on the news that Christians think, start shaking your head immediately. Because mm -hmm. when they start typically talking about Christians, they're talking about the, the group that would say 48% of them would say that. Which again... If you don't actually think any of the events of your Bible are true, why are you in a church? These are always the questions that I ask, and I never get good answers. All right. This one's going to be interesting. The Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. See, that would be the doctrine of inerrancy. So this is where we use our technical terms for you. 
the biblical doctrine of inerrancy, and that is how you would word it, word it. The Bible is true and accurate in all that it teaches. So the reason why we phrase it like that is, does the Bible record false things? Yes. Does the Bible record people lying? And that's why we have, that's why, again, when we talk about theological precision, we're talking about just that, precision. So when we talk about inerrancy, that the Bible does not contain errors, what we mean is the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches, or you'll see it phrased, the Bible is accurate in all that it affirms. So when it records Ahab lying, cheating, and stealing, it does not condone that behavior. It's simply recording that it happened. Therefore, we know that Ahab was a lying, thieving cheat because the Bible records that he was a lying, thieving cheat. See, that's amazing how that works. Now, those people that would agree with us, again, uh, attending church once a week in evangelical churches, 86% of them thought that was a true statement. I'm going to count that as a win. 11% thought it was a false statement. Now, again, remove all the denominational things. 48% thought that was a true statement. 43% thought that was a false statement. Now, if you're like me and you're actually looking at these numbers in real time, this is what's hysterical to me. So 48% of the people thought that the Bible is not liter literally true, while 48% of the people thought it contained truth in all that it teaches. <laughs> Do you see a problem with that? Those two numbers can't actually line up really well, but apparently they do, or at least they do in someone's mind, which is how they are situated. So again, why go through this other than I'm just a glutton for punishment and like to know how depressing my job can be some days? This is the world you live in. When people talk about evangelical churches, they're talking about decent numbers, but not what we would like. When when we, when we read, the people say, well, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. We can be happy that 86% of the people said that was false, but wouldn't we really like that number in evangelical churches to be, like, 95? Like, you got to allow for the, the, for the random outlier. And I point that out because, when, again, when say, people say, well, Christians are doing this, or Christians believe this, can we just be honest? We have no earthly idea what most Christians actually do believe. And we can't actually assume that as many of them agree with Bible-believing Christianity as we would hope. Because the obvious answer is that they just don't. And so while this can be a little depressing, it does kind of help us point out that the commands and the calls that we have to evangelism and discipleship are of vital importance. Because this is, this is the world that we're in, is people just kind of go, eh, I have no idea what this book is all about, I don't get it. it. We need to get it. We need to understand it. We need to explain it. We need to be willing and able to do that, because if we don't, who actually does? <laughs> Not going there. And you didn't hear that, and you're better off. So there you go. Anything else I'm forgetting, we'll continue to go through this until we actually finish up the survey. If not, then I will stop rambling, and we will stand and sing. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, 
Draw from my world that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench the thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. So, my brother, if the things this world gave you leave hunger that won't pass away, my blessed Lord will come and save you. If you kneel to him and humbly pray, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. All right. We're going to go through a song right now that we done a few weeks ago that we're going to start doing whenever we start back the dinners. Uh, Sons of God. Oh, did I not give that? Okay. I'll give us a second. Uh, where's the pastor? They need uh, Sons of God. I I don't know. We're going to do it a cappella because that's how we'll be doing it in the lunchroom. There we go. Okay. Sons of God, indivisible, gather round the table of the Lord. Eat his body, drink his blood, and we'll sing his song of love. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. 
sons of God, indivisible, gathered round the table of the Lord. Eat his body, drink his blood, and we'll sing his song of love. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Sons of God, indivisible, gathered round the table of the Lord. Eat his body, drink his blood, and we'll sing his song of love. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia. do it now i did jump 12 feet in the air like i did do it <gasps> all right that's better than a stress test for blood pressure right there all right there we go oh my goodness i was gonna say something and that just completely wiped from my brain whatever i was gonna say because i thought about it the whole way up here and then that hit and i have no idea what i was gonna say oh it came back yeah see this is why i pick on that computer and why i get annoyed with it because i walked back there and Elena has it typed into a little search bar, Sons of God. So, but the song isn't listed. So we clear the search, and the song is at the top of the search bar. It wasn't there when we actually typed in the name of it, but it was there when we got rid of the name of it. So you explain that. Now, that's what Vern picks, and he goes, you shouldn't talk mean about that computer. No, I talk mean about that computer, because that computer can be a jerk when it wants to be. When it wants to be. <laughs> it's got its own personality. I see that I would agree with you on that. It's part of the evil cult, but you know, <laughs> if you have an iPhone, you, I, it's nothing against you. It, I, I just, I just think you have, you have a, a, a tool of the devil in your pocket. That's all. <laughs> it's okay. We still love you. <laughs> all right. Plague number five. Come on down. That is where we are this morning. Again, we are walking through all of these plagues, for the most part, individually, except for last week. Last week, you got your two-for-one special, because they were you just covered the bugs, simply because who really wants two weeks on bugs, really? Exactly. So we continued on. Now, why cover all of these like this? Well, remember, they actually prove things. These plagues are not just meant to smack Egypt around, although that is part of it. They are not just exclusively for the demonstration of the smack-a-thing of Egypt. They are also a demonstration of God and his power, sin and its very real presence in our lives, as well as our pressing needs for sanctification. You see, I actually took time and came up with three P words. I don't do that very often, so I'm a good Baptist. I can alliterate on occasion. So with all of that said, before I continue to say something else completely ridiculous— Let's dive right in, Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. 
For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But the lives of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Believe it or not, a whole Sunday in there, I promise. So, rewind all the way back to the beginning, dive right in. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Remember, we kind of have this little back and forth going on. Sometimes this is Pharaoh calling for Moses and Aaron. Sometimes this is going into the court. Sometimes this is ambushing him while he's trying to take a bath. See, oh, good. More people have come to this side. See, this makes my life easier. Because earlier it was just literally two people over here. And so we needed this to kind of fill in. This, this works for me. So part of this is ambush style. If you're Pharaoh, I wonder if you're twitching yet. And like Moses and Aaron walk in. Imagine like somebody comes to your highness. Moses and Aaron are here, because remember, all biblical characters speak with a bad British accent. It's, it's required. So Moses and Aaron are here. You know, starting to, you know, Pharaoh starting to itch in the back. There's a reason for this. You want Pharaoh to feel this. You want Egypt to feel this. This is God executing judgment, explaining what his wrath is like. This is not supposed to be fun and pleasant, and based on what we've seen thus far, it isn't. When you go, speak to him and say what? Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Now, for most normal people, nothing unusual about that sentence jumps out. I am not normal. Therefore, something unusual about that sentence jumps out at me. The thing that jumps out is if you were reading this in your Hebrew Old Testament would be Yahweh Elohim Hebraim. Yahweh God of the Hebrews. Now let's stop. Time out. We've covered this before, but I always warn you there will be a pop quiz on this later. Is that all that he is? The answer is no. So why are we using this designation? One, we're drawing battle lines with Pharaoh. We are explaining to Pharaoh who he is up against and whose side God is on. But what's the second group in the book that we're addressing? No. The, the, the Egyptians are the Gentiles. We're technically Gentiles. The book is written for us. When these events are occurring, we're drawing a battle line against the Egyptians, but who else is God teaching? The Israelites. That's part of the reason for the designation. This is a lesson for them. They actually learn this lesson. It's, it, it takes a while, but they actually learn this. Fast forward to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, this man, this is the... Uh, the father of Samuel, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests to the Lord there. I read it really fast. Did you catch the change in designation? He would go yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, Yahweh Sabaoth. So it is no longer when you get to Samuel, Yahweh Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God, Hebraim, which is of the Hebrews, it is Yahweh Sabaoth. Lord of hosts, all that is visible, that which is above, that which is below, that is what is around. 
when you read through Samuel, that is one of the continuing designations of God. It's in First and Second Samuel throughout the book. Israel's actually learning this lesson that we are not just dealing with the God of the Hebrews. We are dealing with the God of what? Everything. How do they learn this lesson? By what's going on in this book. Re, uh, re, yeah, rewind to chapter 3. I know one thing, that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it, and after that he will let you go. Remember, as we go through these plagues, God is not surprised by the actions of Pharaoh. He, has, he knows they are coming. He is not surprised by the stubbornness of either Pharaoh, the Egyptians, or the Israelites for that matter. He knows that it is coming, and he is working and moving anyway. This is a lesson to carry forward because this is really, really good news. Because guess what? If God knows that they're stubborn, guess what he knows about us? <laughs> he knows that we're stubborn. It's not like God woke up and like, can you believe these people? Look at this. I mean, I give them all this good stuff. I give them these blessings. I take care of them. I provide a savior. <laughs> See, that's how we would act, but that's not how the God of creation, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts acts. He knows, he works, and he is still accomplishing. That's why it's so important to remember the works that God has done. That's why that Romans 8 passage is so important for us this morning. Who accomplishes salvation? God does. What do you add to it? <laughs> Nothing. That's really good news because if you could add to it, what could you also do? You could subtract from it. But since you can add nothing, you can therefore also take nothing. This is why you get the designations that you get in the New Testament. When Peter, uh, Paul, James, when they talk about, and John also, when they talk about those that are in will persevere, God will usher in his kingdom, God will carry them through. Why? Because he's the one who does it, he's the one who seals, he's the one who protects. Demonstrating that if you can walk away, it's because you weren't ever brought in, you weren't sealed, you weren't protected. This is consistent throughout scripture, beginning to end. God redeems his people. God preserves his people. And he can do this where? Anywhere. And this is also a lesson that gets taught throughout the Old Testament. One of, one of, my, uh, one of my favorite Old Testament uh, little sections excuse me, is uh, 1 Kings chapter 20. At the turn of the year, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went to meet them. And the sons of Israel camped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Arameans filled the country. So you kind of get the picture. The Arameans are where? Everywhere. And the Israelites are like, we got our people. Go team. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, the Lord is God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. Time out. That, that's actually recorded earlier in 1 Kings 20. The Arameans meet the Israelites for battle in the mountains, and they lose. And so when they go back home, they go, well, you know what happened? That Yahweh character that those Israelites have, see, he's God in the mountains, and that's where we messed up. We fought a mountain God in the mountains. What we need to do is fight their mountain God in the valleys. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yahweh says, the God, but he, uh, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand. Why? So you shall know that I am the Lord. So... God's answer is, they think I'm God of the mountains. If they fight you in the valleys, they'll win. So what we're going to do is, we're going to fight them in the valleys. And I'm going to win. And then you'll know that I'm God where? Everywhere. As I said, it's a hard-learned lesson for Israel, but it is one that God is continually teaching. Now, this also connects us to what we were going over last week. If you didn't listen to last week, for shame. 
It's on YouTube. You can find it. You can link through our website. It's good for you. Um, trusting, leaning into God's work, walking faithfully. This lesson builds on that because why can I do that? Regardless of where I am, regardless of what my circumstances are, I can trust God's working and delivering. Why? Because he's got that kind of power. See, you guys all love, I just know how much you love all my bad 80s references. And my only disappointment today is that Becca is on vacation in Louisiana because I, I live for Becca to roll her eyes at my bad references. But I have a better one. I told my, I warned Cameron, I have my best pop culture reference ever. And it's not 80s, it's 90s. We need Backstreet Boys theology. We do. <laughs> Wait a minute. If you would like to know what I have to live with on a daily basis, turn around and look at the look on my wife's face because I just got, hmm? One of the children suddenly. We need what? No, I'm serious. You need good Backstreet Boys theology. I've got the earpiece. How does the song go? I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did. <laughs> See, you know the rest is, but what's more important for our purposes? What does Christ cover? He covers sinners from what law walk of life? All of them, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what your sin is, regardless of how much you have clinged to it, the work of Christ is more powerful than that sin and the ability of it to hold you. He redeems and he rescues lost and dying people. See, you're going to be walking around at home going, I don't care. And you're welcome for that. You are welcome for that. <laughs> you need that in your life. You need bad 90 songs in your life to remind you of good biblical theology. And see, I, ju I just do my little part, and that connects it, because if you remember nothing else from this day, you'll go, can you believe what that idiot did this morning? And you know who's going to be saying that at dinner time? <laughs> yeah, trust me, no one goes home after the service to go, can you believe he did that more than me? So, yeah, the lengths of embarrassment that I will go to so that you will remember something useful about your theology. But this is part of the lesson here. He's not just the God of the Hebrews, but he's drawing that battle line so that Israel can remember that when we leave Egypt, God didn't leave his power behind fighting the Egyptians. He brings it with, with him so that when we fight the Canaanites, when we fight all the other ites of Joshua, he is there. That's why it's so depressingly sad when God says, all right, go take the city. And they go, are you sure? What do you mean, are you sure? What, what have we been doing? Like, what, what, what have we been doing all this time? That's part of the reason why it's so bad. And this is the other reason why we remind you of how deep sin is. Because we constantly lie to ourselves and say, well, you know, if I had been an Israelite then, and I had seen the parting of the Red Sea, and I had seen the ten plagues, and I had seen the manna from heaven, and I had seen all of that, I would not have been arguing with God. I'd have been Joshua and Caleb. Like, yeah, let's go. No, you wouldn't. You'd have been Peter walking on the water going, this can't be real. <laughs> and under you went. That's human sin, and that is the work that Christ overcomes. That is the depth of the depravity, the lack of faith, the inability to trust, the, the degradation of our souls that Christ uplifts and redeems us from. It's good news because it's a reminder of how much power God actually has, which is going to be kind of the recurring theme here. So, verses 2 and 3. If you refuse to let them go, back to talking to Pharaoh, and continue to hold them, behold, remember our rule, Anytime you see the word behold, take a time out. Something important is coming. The hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. 
That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? If that occurs, what's going to be left? What if I told you the mercy of God would be left? Did you catch the distinction that God has made? Remember, if you learn no other lesson from all of these plagues, do not think of the wrath of God as some violent, wild outburst. It is not some kid in middle school on the playground going windmill on you. You know that when you're ready to get the white stance and just... Now you'll remember that when you sing your Backstreet Boys songs. You're welcome for that as well. <laughs> it is controlled, it is measured, and it accomplishes what it needs to accomplish and when it needs to accomplish it. If you want a really good example of this, rewind in your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I got really bad news for you. Nothing's changed. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There shouldn't be a but there, should there? If these people are that bad, should there be a but? No, there should just be a, we're washing this place clean, we will start over, but. No, we're not starting over. We're going to work in the midst of this to redeem a people. So in the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of God's wrath being poured out, there is mercy and there is grace being demonstrated to the people that are experiencing it and going through it. Verse 3, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock. Here's your important phrase, which are in the field. Time out. All the livestock at all times is always only in the field, right? No. Some of it is always going to be where? In the barn, in the stall, somewhere else. God, in the midst of his pronouncement of judgment, is providing and demonstrating his mercy. If you were an Egyptian in the court of Pharaoh and you heard that, what would you go do with all your flocks? Bring them inside! <laughs> Don't, well, well, we can't fit them all inside. How many can we fit inside? Because notice, is this coming on immediately? Is like, is Moses walking out the room and everybody's going to drop dead? No, we'll cover that in a second. No, this is a mercy. This is a grace. The ones that are in the field. Why provide this? It gives the people a chance to demonstrate a trust and a change of heart. God is working. God is moving. And remember this as we get to the end when they actually leave Egypt that God is demonstrating how much power he has, not just over Pharaoh, not just over Egypt, not just over Israel, but over even the people of Egypt. Now, you may ask yourself, self, why livestock? Like, why go there? And the answer is because, remember, we are systematically working through and undermining all of the pantheon, all of the false gods, air quote, gods of Egypt. So in this case, what's the starting with the livestock? We have the Egyptian god Apis. Apis? I don't even know how you say it. A-P-I-S. If you can come up with a good pronunciation, God bless you. I don't speak Egyptian. I can't even read the, the diagrams. It doesn't make any sense. He is literally a bull god, and, and that's not an insult. He's actually a bull that they have elevated to deity. So why, I have no idea, but they did. His mother is Hathor. I'm fairly confident about that uh, designation. She is the consort of Ra. Don't you, don't you just love these designations? Because this is, this is the historical descriptions. Hathor is the consort of Ra, which is a really, really fancy way of saying his lady of the evening. 
Yeah. So I'm trying to be polite. We do have some children in here. Don't, don't you just love ancient deities? Like, hey, well, we got this one. It's, it's like the young and the restless. We got this one sleeping with this one while they're also sleeping with this one. And then, you know, it's like JR gets shot and the bull comes riding in. And I don't understand what's going on with any of it. Now, why do we bring these people up? Well, not these people, these made-up people. Well, they're not even made-up people. They're made-up things. Why, why bring them up? Well, because a piece, however you want to say it, has an interesting job. I didn't do it. Hang on. All right, see, everything's nice and tight and connected. It's taped to my neck so it doesn't wiggle around. Okay, we good? All right. I'm talking to the sound system like it can hear me. <sighs> okay, I'm talking to the sound system because it can hear me. Is that better? <sighs> what is one of his important jobs? He is the mediator between the Egyptians and the realm of the gods. Hmm. Whose job is that? Whose job is it to mediate between people and the deity? 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. See, this strikes right to the heart, not just at what the work of the Egyptian gods is or are, but what the work of Christ actually is. This is a reminder and a designation, the, the, the dividing line being drawn that no, Yahweh, is the one who does these things. And it will be accomplished at the right time when he sends Christ to do the work, and not before. This is also a good reminder for you in the modern world. We have a really bad habit. And I say we because I'm throwing myself in here. Of thinking about rival religions, false gods, goddesses, systems, as just these cute little like, life coach things that people come up with. That's not what they are. They are rival religions. They are rejections of God, who he is, what he does, and they are rejections and outright challenges to him because the sinner is not someone who is apathetic to God. The rebel sinner is not just sitting there going, well, you know, there's me and then there's God, and we just kind of have this mutual understanding not to talk to each other. No, they are actively shaking their fist at him. They are at war with him. Read Romans 1. This is the description we give, that is given. The description we are given, if I could speak English. And this is what we have to remember on a daily basis. That's why these survey results, I think, are so important for us, because it's a reminder of just where people actually are. That I asked the question multiple times, like, if you don't believe any of this, why are you in church? And I think the answer is because people want to make who God? Them! I want to be in charge here, and if I can borrow and steal from Christianity in order to do that, then that's just, that's just a double win for me, because I can claim to be a part of a group that gets me some things, while at the same time completely lying about all of it. This is, this is a good win. That's why, that's why Paul warned. When Paul warned the church on his way to Jerusalem, where did he tell them savage wolves were coming from? Savage wolves will arise from your own ranks. The false teachers, the people trying to lead you to hell, weren't going to come from the outside. They were going to come from the inside. The people you had taken the, the Lord's Supper with, the people you had gone to dinner with, the people that you had gone to classes with, the people that had been trained up with you, knew the same things and walked away and said, I don't believe any of that. But, you know, I got this really new fancy idea. Let's go this way. The savage wolves were coming from the church. When you read, what is Paul writing to? Is Paul writing to the synagogues, telling them to leave the churches alone? Is Paul writing to the town councils in the New Testament telling them to leave the churches alone? He's writing to who? The churches. Why? Because where are the problems? 
in the churches. <sighs> churches are full of sinners. We get that. Whenever you put more than one person full of sin in a room, you know what you're going to get? Conflict of some kind. If you've been married for more than 20 minutes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Two sinners in a room. After a while, what's going to happen? <laughs> something. Nobody will find something to argue about. If you, and if you haven't been married for more than 20 minutes, don't you remember being with, like, friends? Do you remember what, you ever wonder why your parents are like, you need to spend less time with that friend for a little while? You're like, why? We like each other. No, because I don't care how much you like each other, what's happening? At some point, you're just around each other so much, you just start to annoy each other. If you've never seen that, did you have siblings? You love them to death, but you want to do what half the time? <laughs> see, I was an only child, so I see this with my kids, and I look at my wife, is this normal? I'm like, they're, they're literally like carving up, sharpening the knives against each other. Oh, yeah, this is what they did. This is, what, this is how siblings are. They'll be fine. Okay. All right, if you say so. <laughs> because sin corrupts, and it destroys, and it degradates everything. Why do we think it does that? But then when we see the rebel sinner walking in his delusion in his worldview, we go, well, you know, he doesn't really mean anything bad by it. No, he does. He means to lead people to hell and eternal destruction. Why do we sit there and go, isn't that special? It's not special. It's evil. If you really want a bad reference, we'll go evil. Hmm, there you go. Anything to help you remember these things. This, this is what I'm here for. This is why we have to be so careful how we walk. Because when we walk in something other than the truth, we are no longer just wandering. We are actively agreeing with the pagan world against God. That's not good. Again, what's our call? 2 Corinthians 10. We walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Catch that. Where does that work start? Where did they, it starts here. My work doesn't start out there. It starts with me. How do I even recognize that this is a problem? By knowing what is good and what is right and what is truthful and then being able to recognize everything that stands in opposition to that. See, this is, again, been on this for the last couple of weeks. My goal on a Sunday morning is not to give you, like, a good pep talk and send you out and be like, all right, go team, good job. No, I want to construct a Christian worldview. So that as we evaluate how we go to work, how we drive in traffic, how we talk to people at the coffee shop, whatever it may be, however we do all these things, we do it with the mind of how am I bringing Christ to bear in the situation? How? Like when I play softball, when I go to the gym, again, how do I bring Christ to bear in what I am doing? And that starts with how do I utilize this for the betterment of my education, my soul and my trust in God, and my proclamation of the truths of who he is and what he has done. Because I don't need it to bring anything with me. That's just me and how I am a disciple. So how do I make decisions that glorify God? How do I give advice that glorifies God? How do I tell someone they're wrong in a way that glorifies God? See, that's the goal. And it's tempting because, look, isn't it real easy to get aggravated in this world? I mean, especially the last six, seven months, turn on the news and it's like, 
<laughs> yeah, that's why I don't turn it on that often, because every time I do, it's like, I am fully capable of strangling another human being right now. Ooh, where did that come from? Well, I know where that came from. It came from who? Me. This is what God is redeeming and working through. These are the areas that I'm being told I need to, to, to tackle. These are the areas that I'm told I need to, to, to attack with righteousness. The goal isn't watch the news and don't get angry. It's, no, how do I evaluate what's going on and then offer counsel, advice, and wisdom that glorifies God and doesn't destroy my own soul? And it's hard work. That's what we were told. That's what we were called to. You read through the Old Testament. When of, which of the prophets of God, you know, was like, I'm a prophet of God. I'm going to tell people they're going to hell. It doesn't exist. Instead, you got Jeremiah. Throw him in a well. Throw him in prison. I mean, historically speaking, how many of you know how Isaiah died? I mean, we love Isaiah, right? Isaiah was the good one. You know, went to the kings and spoke and actually liked him and talked to him until you get to Manasseh. Pressed him between two boards and had him sawn in half. Yeah. And that's not like modern day saws, you know, like where you flip the switch and it goes, and we're done. That's like old school. Yar. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's not a magic trick. They don't put the two pieces back together at the end and go, ta-da. They didn't like these people. They hated them. That's why you see so many of these prophets. We don't know anything about them. Safest thing for God to do is just pick one up and go, all right, go into town and tell them this and then go home before something bad happens to you. And that's what you see with so many of these guys. Because they didn't want to hear it. Because what does a sinful heart want? What it wants. It doesn't want the things of God. Christian, we have to be disciplined. We have to know who he is, realize what he has done, and then walk in that, and then figure out how do I actively walk in it and proclaim it. <laughs> Back in the highway, verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. I'm quite certain the Israelites appreciated that. So not only will the livestock of Egypt, which are in the stalls, be spared, but all the livestock of Israel, whether they're in the stalls or in the fields, will likewise be spared. Again, proving and explaining something about who God is and what he is doing. 1 Corinthians 10 gives us our explanation. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You're probably sitting there going, why would you read that verse to deal with this? What possible temptation could God be overcoming in the Israelites by sparing their livestock? <laughs> um, it's a good old phrase. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. How is that applicable to the book of Exodus? Well, if you fast forward in the book to chapter 20, what does God tell them? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Why point that out? Because it was about 45 seconds after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea that they did what? We're hungry. We're thirsty. At least we had meat and water in Egypt. Really, guys? Remember, that's one of their questions to Moses. Is that why you have taken us out into the desert? Because there were no graves to bury us in in Egypt? Why? Be that way. See, the computer system doesn't like me. I go to point at it, the TV goes dark. You saw that, right? 
you wonder why I am the way that I am. You see what I have to deal with on a daily basis? <laughs> why make the distinction? Who's the provider? God is. We've made this point multiple weeks. Who is the one who gives them this increase in flocks? God. Who is the one who can take these flocks away? God. So when you get out of Egypt and you're wandering around in the wilderness, why are you trusting in something other than God? The lesson that is being taught. Again, two things. We are getting Israel out of Egypt, but what else are we doing? Getting Egypt out of Israel. Christian, welcome to why you walk every day. Welcome to why this is such a big deal that I encourage you to walk faithfully. You live in a world that I don't even have a good way to describe it. It just, it's, it's like bed bugs in a hotel. Once you get them in one bed, they just spread every place. You are infested with this world. And I am too, by the way. Not just like you people. No, we are infested. <laughs> there you go. Jonathan will take that mantle for us. We are infested with this world. And there is no mechanism outside of Christ and the, wor and the preserving work of the Holy Spirit that pulls us in the right direction on this place. Everything in this world pulls us in a direction other than God. Everything. Doesn't matter what direction it's pulling you in as long as it's not God. So the active discipling work is meant to keep us on that path. It is meant to strengthen the work of the Holy Spirit, encourage your soul, renew your mind, do all of the things the New Testament is calling you towards, because the temptation in this world is real, and it is damaging, and it is deadly on a daily basis. And I ran out of D words, so we're just going to go with that and stop right there. So, nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. Now, this is important. Because what we want to make sure is, I haven't covered this yet, but I want to make sure we do this at some point, because let me see, it's, it's about mid-ish October, so yeah, since we're all staying at home and watching television, uh, I think the History Channel will be starting out early this year, so I'm thinking mid-November is when they're going to start their Christmas stuff, because let's just be honest, isn't Christmas, are we going to move Christmas into October in the next couple of years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cameron called me for a little like, they have the Christmas stuff out. I'm like, it's September, they have the Christmas stuff out. And she calls to tell me that because she knows it annoys me. Like, there are holidays, you don't deal with Thanksgiving until after Halloween, you do not deal with Christmas until after Thanksgiving, you just, you just don't do these things. It's just, I've never been more aggravated than I was trying to get a Halloween mug in October, and they didn't have any because all the Christmas stuff was out, and it's just like, I give up, I'm going home. I don't even like holidays anymore, it's no fair. So the History Channel is going to start early. It'll be good for you to understand this. God is making distinctions amongst active work that he is doing. Now, what I mean by that is there is the History Channel rundown. And if you don't know what that is, here it is. Red algae bloom rolled into the Nile River. Which plague was that? Water turned to blood. It's a red algae bloom. This, because the water was deoxygenated in the, drove the frogs of the Nile out of the river and where? Onto the land, into the houses. Because the frogs are just like everybody else, dehydrating, and frogs have a lower threshold for starving to death than people do, before the people starved to death, when the algae bloom cleared out, what happened to the frogs? They died. So heaps of dead frogs, what congregates around heaps of dead frogs? Gnats and flies. Well, these gnats and flies, because there are so many dead frogs to feed on, are stinging people, biting them. There's people with boils and wounds and things. They carry this lovely bacteria known as Bacillus anthracis, which is the basis for the modern poison known as anthrax. Guess, well, who, guess which group of uh, critter is highly susceptible to anthrax? Cattle. Camels, sheep, 
cows. So these flies swarming everywhere eventually get to the cattle and begin to infect them. That's why the ones in the field are dead and the ones in the stalls are protected because the ones in the stalls aren't exposed to as many bugs. Apparently these people have never been in a stall because <laughs> they're everywhere. So this is your naturalistic rundown. Now, what are the problems with that explanation that I just gave? One, it's worldly. Two, what are the odds? Like, what, what are the odds that this would happen? Two, they've left another miracle that they have to explain. If the water everywhere is affected and the frogs are everywhere, then the flies would be everywhere, which means the cattle would be affected everywhere. Now, drill down, which means the Israelite cattle would be in big trouble because they're in the same fields and a lot of times that the Egyptian cattle are in. Now, I point this out because when we talk about how do I think through things in a way that glorifies God, the drill down problem, and you nailed it right off the bat, it's worldly. It's what we call the assumption or presupposition of naturalism. There must be a natural explanation because this world, the things that I see, the things that I can touch, hear, smell, taste, they are all that there is. Your Bible starts out with what is its viewpoint? Supernaturalism. That there are things beyond which you can see, smell, hear, taste, and touch. Why do I say your Bible starts there? What's your first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And believe it or not, I can prove that there's a supernatural world to you. You ready? What do thoughts smell like? <laughs> what do dreams taste like? <laughs> what does your imagination sound like? <laughs> it's a silly exercise, but what's the point? Thoughts. Oh, here's an easy one. What does love look like? <laughs> I mean, like, draw a picture of love. You know what you would all do? You would all draw something different because there is no objective thing that love looks like. What does hatred sound like? You're suddenly thinking of traffic. I understand that. It's okay. <laughs> These are all abstract things. Thoughts, emotions, feelings are by definition supernatural because they are outside of the natural realm. You cannot weigh them. You cannot measure them. You cannot test them. They are different for every person. That's why you ever look at somebody like, why did they get married? They actually like each other. I don't like either one of them, but they like each other. How does, like, they found the two people on the planet that like themselves. How does that work? I don't know how it works because it's an abstract thing. You live daily in a world that is outside of just what you see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, because this is a world that God has made. So when we start with a group of, well, there was a bloom, and it created the frogs, and then we got the bugs. No, you've missed the starting point, which is that there is a God in heaven who is working and accomplishing and doing these things. So I will hop off the soapbox and get back to verse 5. So the Lord set a definite time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Again, for two reasons. First off, if you're an Egyptian in the court and you have flocks and herds out in the fields, what are you doing? Go get them in. It's the only chance we've got. Second thing, if you're Pharaoh and his people, what was that night like? Like, were you just like chilling in bed like, I can't believe these people are still fighting with me? I mean, you've seen the frogs, you've seen the flies, you've seen the gnats, you've seen the bloody water. It's, at what point are you going... What's tomorrow going to be like? When, like, does it happen at dawn? Does it happen at my morning coffee? Does it happen after breakfast? Does it happen around lunch? Like, 
<laughs> Again, reminder from last week, Job chapter 7. If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions. Again, God wants Pharaoh to feel this in his soul, as a good southern woman would say, in my bones, deep down. <laughs> You've met that person, haven't you? See? Now, believe it or not, in the midst of all of this, this is mercy of God as well. This is a mercy from God. Because if you're an Israelite, what kind of night are you having? See, you think that. I know me. If Moses had come home and said, all right, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. God is going to smite all the cattle in the fields, but our cattle are going to be fine. Where would your cattle be that night? In the stall. Why? Because just, like, just in case. And as soon as you woke up in the morning, what would you go do? You'd be walking out checking. Now, what kind of faith does that demonstrate? Weak. Can we all admit that would be us, though? And then you'd go home and make coffee, and then you'd be like, you know what, I, I, I really need to go check on those cows. I, I just, okay, they're still mowing out there. All right. All right, I'm going to take a shower. I got to go check on those cows. Okay, they're, they're still, have they died in Egypt yet? Because I really just want this. You get to walk through the trial. You get to walk through the plague. Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. While this isn't a spanking for Israel, this would be a test of their faith, isn't it? This would be a demonstration of where they actually stand. Congratulations. That's good for you. That's why I've said no matter how you slice it, as miserable as this year has been, it is the best thing that has ever happened to the Christian church. We have been pruned, we have been purified, we have been washed and redeemed in ways that we can't possibly imagine. You know what kind of faith you have, because you know where you'll go right now. You know who you'll hang out with. You know where you feel safe, and when you look at another person in Walmart and they just kind of have that look where they don't look quite well, and you're like, I don't know. You know when you step back, and then you know how you felt about it. That's good for you. It's absolutely positively good for you. It's good for the church. It's good for our country. It's good for the world because it demonstrates where people stand. And any time, any time you can mark people out for where they stand and what they believe in, we are the better for it. That's why I like going through this survey because while it's depressing and annoying at times, you know what it tells me? Exactly where a lot of the quote-unquote Christian church actually stands. And you know what it encourages me to do? This stuff. Because what do we need to do? I need to know it because you need to know it because we need to be about the business of proclaiming it. This, any trial, any struggle, any difficulty should spur us to greater trust. Not because we're so thrilled that we get to go through the plague. Yay, we got a plague. Go team. We need more plagues. No, nobody's saying that. But what I'm saying is I've walked through this. I'm still at church. I still love my God. I still rejoice in my salvation. <laughs> He's working in me and he is strengthening me. This is good news and then i can see my brother who is not being strengthened who is not persevering who is not walking through and you know what i now know he needs somebody needs to be built up somebody needs to be strengthened i now have a target i now know who the person i'm supposed to go after is i, I didn't know that before but i know now and i can do that and i may not be able to answer every question but you know the beauty of getting a question you can't answer you now know what you need to go look up like you ever had the moment i don't know what i should read in my bible today well what was their question go read that Go find the answer to that, and then go back, and then get another question, then go do what? 
Get the answer to that one. You'll strengthen them, and you'll also strengthen you. So, the Lord did this thing, verse 6, On the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Again, because he's got that kind of power. He can make those lines of demarcation. He can separate out his people. He can preserve them in the midst of things. He can do all of these things. This is one of the great... um, Excuse me. One of the great benediction prayers in the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the period, when he'd lost his mind and was eating the grass and growing his hair out and all that, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hands or say to him, what have you done? We've tried, haven't we? Some point this year, you have looked up at heaven and said, why? Why are you doing this? The answer is because you need it. Because this prunes my kingdom. This strengthens my people. And it redeems them from the midst of this world. And to that we should say, amen. Thank you, because it shows us what is going on. It shows us where the lines of demarcation is. This is part of the example. This is what Jesus warns, Matthew 21. Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust see we forget day in and day out because let's just be honest as human history goes we got it really good we've we've got it really good i mean if you got more than five bucks in your pocket you have more money than about 95 to 98 percent of this planet and you probably have more money than about 99.9 percent of all humans who have lived in history i mean you can rewind and you rewind in human history about three, four hundred years, the average person was born, worked, lived, and died in a seven-mile circle. They never left it, ever, for any reason. Majority of people, they were born at the house, they worked the field around the house, the market was, you know, two streets over, and when they died, they were buried in the cemetery behind the house. And that was the end of this world. We have seen things and been places and experienced things that most of human history would marvel at. We have it awesomely well, and that's the danger, because what did I warn you of earlier? Nothing in this world pulls you towards God. The more you think about how great this place is, and the more you think about how much we have been given and how much we have, what do you start longing for? More and more of this world. So every once in a while, God needs to do what? God needs to send a plague. God needs to send an illness. God needs to send a disaster to remind us that this world is not good, that our lives here are not secure, but by the work of Christ, by the grace of God, by the preserving power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom is good. Our salvation is secure, and our perseverance is assured because he is the one who has brought it. And that is the thing we should be loving. That is the thing that we should be clinging to, and that is the direction in which we should be walking. So, verse 7. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. See, Pharaoh's gone and stepped in it now. Like, the last thing you want to do is go confirm it. Don't go send people to find out because then you know. At least if you don't know, you can lie to yourself, right? But when you know for a fact, can you lie to yourself anymore? No. 
Who should he be sending out? Should he be sending out people to confirm, or should he be sending out the Israelites? Should be sending out the Israelites. That's what God's telling you to do. Instead, no, I'm going to go check on this thing. Oh, he did it. Oh, okay. All right. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Again, we know this. We know what's coming. We know why it's coming. So let's, let's flip the script a little bit, because Pharaoh's stubborn. I mean, there are mules that think Pharaoh is stubborn right now. Like, I can't believe this guy. But let's ask a question. Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We worry. We wonder. We doubt. So let's ask a fun question. Last question of the day, and then I promise we're going to finish up. What happens on November 3rd? Now let me ask a really good question. Why do you know that? Why do you know that? We say it's important. And look, and I'm not trying to tell you that nothing of this world is of value or important. But is there a more important date on the calendar this year than November 3rd? See, what was your first thought? Your first thought was, no, of course not. I have things to do that day that are of vital importance. To what? To what? This is the challenge I'm trying to give at you. We make, guilty, we make such a big deal over this world. Who's in charge? What are my rights? Look, I like my rights. I like my freedoms. But if they were gone tomorrow, have I lost God? Have I lost the kingdom? Have I lost my sanctification? No, but how do I act? <laughs> I act like I have. This is my challenge. This is why I want to poke at you a little bit, because I'm poking at me too. Believe me, I'm kicking myself in the rear end the whole time here. This is not our battlefront. I didn't say don't vote. I didn't say don't be informed. As a matter of fact, I think you should be informed. I think you should vote. I think you should vote Christianly. Remember, this is bring your Christian wisdom and Christian worldview to bear on every avenue. We've had this conversation on Wednesdays with the, uh, with the men's Bible study group. I've said, whatever happened to common sense in this world? Like, why can't I look at a politician and say, I don't like that person, but they did something I agree with, therefore they did a good thing. Conversely, why can't I look at a politician and say, I like that person, but they did something I do not agree with, therefore they did a bad thing. Both of these things can be true, and sometimes they're true simultaneously. Are they true anymore in our society? No, because we've lost wisdom. We've lost a long view of history. We only see the next curve, the next month, the next election. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. If you wake up each morning, and say, I determine today to live my life to the glory of God, to disciple my soul, to train my mind, to guard my heart, and to seek to bring biblical wisdom and understanding to every situation in which I encounter today. That is my goal from this moment forward. How busy will that day be? <laughs> Doesn't matter what all you, you can be sitting on your butt watching TV. You will be making decisions about what's on the television. Do I watch that commercial? Do I turn it off? Do I, do I, can I redeem this time with something else? You will be active. Now, when you hit your pillow at the end of the night, will you be exhausted? Yes. Will it have been worth it? Yes. You got time to worry about a whole lot of other things? No. And that's the key. Each day has its own troubles. What should we worry about? What am I doing? 
right now. Right now. Because what's our enemy? Where is our actual war? Because the Bible tells you. Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Okay, we're making progress. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. People are not the enemy. Politicians are not even the enemy. False believers that give terrible answers to biblical surveys are not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. And what is the weapon we wield against it? The truth that God has given to us. By disciplining my heart, by strengthening my mind, by sprinkling my words with wisdom and biblical counsel, I wage war day in and day out. And I will win. Why? Because he's already won. He's already won. It's, it's determined. It's ended. We're there. So how do I walk? Second Timothy 2. Be diligent. Present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. That sounds like good advice, right? So how do I do that? Accurately handling the word of truth. King James, I think, translates it rightly dividing. And that's because Paul was a tent maker. And he understood when you cut fabric, if you get just a little bit off, what happens? <laughs> that's why they want you to navigate when you walk or ride in a boat. By what? Something objective away from you. Because if you just stare at your feet when you walk, you know what you're eventually going to do? People, when people get lost camping, you know where they always find them? Within a mile of where they started out getting lost. Because what do people typically do when they're lost in the wilderness? You know what direction they walk in? A circle. <laughs> because they don't have any bearing. And when you don't have any bearing and you just keep wandering, you eventually circle back. You don't even mean to do it. You need something outside of you, a bearing. That's what Paul's saying. Rightly divide. Have some standard by which you follow. That's the charge. That's how I wage war. Because ultimately, ultimately, where is my life? Where is my future? And where is my redemption? It's Colossians chapter 3. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You're dead to this place. You're alive in Christ. You're dead to the worries of this world, but you're alive to the promises and the joys of the kingdom. And that's the focus we've got to have. So again, be informed. Know what's going on in the world, but recognize that that's not my life. My life is Christ. Raise your children. Go to work. Do a good job. Recognizing that those things are not the end-all, be-all, but Christ is what I seek and who I am after. So I seek to bring that wisdom, that sanctification. How do I glorify God in this moment? And when this moment is past, you know what I do? How do I glorify God in this moment? And if I can't give you a biblical answer or a Christian foundation for what I'm doing, you know what I'm doing? Something wrong. Something wrong. If I can't ground why I went to work, why I gave the advice that I gave, why I voted the way that I voted, if I can't ground those things in Christian principles, then I'm wrong. I'm just flat out wrong. Remember, there's, there's no other category. You're either in the kingdom or you are out of the kingdom. And if we are not being guided by the principles, precepts, and wisdom of God, then we are being guided by something that hates him. 
And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we think like that in, our, in, in the world day in and day out, the sooner we will realize and solve, actually, some of these problems. Something we talked about in Sunday school class. I want the world to be a better place. You know what that means I need? I need more good people in the world. Well, who are the only people that have any hope of being good in this world? Those that are guided by the Holy Spirit, grounded in Christ, and following after God. So if I want the world to be more Christian, what do I need in the world? More Christians. And those survey results kind of point to us that how many Christians are actually in this world? <laughs> but we have the message. We have the hope. Doesn't matter where they came from. Doesn't matter what's gone wrong. Doesn't matter where we thought we were going. Christ redeems and he cures and he brings people to himself. And that's the message that we proclaim and the reminder that we need as the, as the advice that we give. When we do that, we win. We are successful. We have grounded on the word. We can justify who we are, justify where we are going, and lead the world to an actual light at the end of the tunnel. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the work that you have done, for the promises that you have fulfilled, and for the promises that you are fulfilling, that there is a kingdom coming. And those of us that are secure in you are secure in that kingdom, that no matter what befalls us, we can rejoice because you are preserving us, you are carrying us through to the day of completion. Lord, strengthen us, renew our hearts, renew our minds, strengthen our souls that we would be your servants, grounded in your kingdom, doing your work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given us Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because he's given jesus christ his son and now let the weak sing I am strong, and let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say I am strong, and let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son. Give 
things with the grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak I am strong, and let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give Uh, just a couple reminders. Remember, uh, Shelby in your prayers. Uh, visitation for Vi at Fitzgerald on Mulford, 9.30 to 11. Um, I would encourage you to kind of arrive as as early as you can simply because I mean, it's close to 9.30 simply because it's going to be spaced out, and I don't know how long that could take tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow morning. I don't know how long that could take, so don't try to push it. And if you come by and it's a super long line out the door, then either wait at your car or swing back by around later just to try to make it as easy as possible for everybody going through that time um council after the service everything else read your bulletin let's pray again lord as we go about this world as we walk through it strengthen us that we would remember you remember our charge remember the tools that you have provided lord and walk faithfully as your children knowing that you have provided and that you will redeem us fully at the end in christ's name we pray amen <laughs>